0: Sickle, bleeding saints and forest witches, the past unburied, the books unsealed, the old celebration returning. Hello, and welcome to my study. Please uh, come in and have a seat. The books you see are those uh, used to research our show. And the individual to my right here will be reading from some of these as they are quoted in our episode. Her name is Mrs. Carswell. Uh, Mrs. Carswell. You're just going to keep sitting there like that? Okay, well, uh, this seems to be some sort of a Halloween stunt. I uh, I thought it might come to something like this, the way she's been. Uh, uh, Mrs. Carswell is all dressed up for the holiday and... Uh, for the theme of our show I might add as uh, a witch Uh, uh, she's uh, put quite a bit of work into this uh, costume and has been uh, wearing it since uh, I saw her this morning and just sitting here not moving um, ever since she finished her uh, morning routines and it's... uh, it's been several hours. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's a bit unnerving. So I, I don't know what's going on. There seems to be some sort of fixation, lots of talk about being away from home for Halloween. It's um <laughs> we're supposed to be recording, Mrs Carswell. I really need you to... Oh! Yeah.
1: What you... What? I thought you needed a good Halloween scare.
0: <laughs> what are you doing? Oh my God. Well, you, you had your trick. It is, it's is—it's time to record. I don't know what else you want. You've worn the costume all day and we'll have the pie and the fortune telling after we get this show done.
1: You mean my fortune telling?
0: Well, yes, with your bees. You did offer, didn't you? I, anyway, I'm curious. Oh, so...
1: I, I couldn't have you watching. It's a private thing. Uh, mother and I, we, well, men are never involved the, the way it's done. It's women only. Anyway, I've already done the reading.
0: <laughs> and you weren't even going to tell me?
1: I've been trying to decide. I, I, I've not just been sitting here the whole time. I've been thinking. The mask was actually helping me to focus.
0: So the forecast was bad or, or terrible?
1: The bees are just... angry. We all say terrible things when we're angry. I don't think it's worth worrying about. Anyway, I left the pie a little underdone in the oven, assuming we'll be at this for about an hour. That way it will not only be done when we're finished, but still warm. We're usually done with these things in about an hour, right? Yes. Talking about death and destruction won't change things. They'll just have to get used to it here. We just have to get on with things. We can go ahead and record.
0: Okay, well, what's the plan?
1: Don't worry about the bees. I didn't make the malt cider because the pie will be warm, and I didn't think we want two warm things together. And you usually like your brandy after recording anyway.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, More and more, it seems. Anyway, uh, this will be episode 36, All of Them... Witches. I am your host, Al Ridenour, and this show, Bone and Sickle, explores the intertwining of horror and folklore in a historical context. I started the show as a way to further explore this uh, area of intersection after writing my book, *The Krampus and the Old Dark Christmas* and Sickle only exists thanks to the generosity of our Patreon donors. who receive a number of monthly rewards related to the production of this show. And I'll have more on uh, Patreon at the end of the episode. Tonight, we'll have five mostly unrelated stories, uh, sharing only one thread, every character, whether rightly or not, whether a historic uh, personage or a uh, purely folkloric figure. All of them have been regarded as witches. So uh, Mark Fry, clearly in 1971, when he wrote the song, The Witch, was thinking about uh, witches uh, peering through windows. But he was not alone. We uh, have someone from Connecticut doing the same.
1: As a little girl growing up in Monroe, off Cutler's Farm Road, I awoke one night to a woman staring into my window. I have never forgotten her face. I remember looking at her and wishing she would go away. I would close my eyes and open them, but there she would be. She was laughing at me, and the only thing I could think of while she was there were pies. She kept sending me some message about pies.
0: This is taken from a message board dedicated to Hannah Crana, a witch of local legend in Monroe, Connecticut. The Cutler's Farm Road mentioned was uh, believed to be the location of her home. Uh, Another uh, posting...
1: In one of the fields where the newer houses are now, we found a cauldron with what looked like cow bones around it. I asked my dad what it was, and of course he didn't tell me, but I heard him talk to his friend, and he said something about a witch. There
0: is uh, also a rock upon which the witch used to sit, which causes cars on a nearby road to lose control, and also bears imprints of the uh, devil's hooves and a grave in Gregory's Four Points Burial Ground, uh, burying both the witch's nickname, given for unknown reasons, that is Hannah Crenna, and her real name, Hannah Hovey. The date of her burial was rather recent for a witch, that is, 1860. Hannah's reputation as a witch began with the death of her husband, who in 1807, during his nightly walk, somehow plummeted from a cliff, an improbable death, which seemed to call for further explanation or theories, uh, and in this case, the theory was he'd been bewitched by his wife. The widowed Hannah for the rest of her life, dressed in black and never remarried, keeping company on her isolated farm with only a rooster by the name of Old Boreas, The bird, which was known for crowing at the stroke of midnight, came to be regarded as a sort of uh, witch's familiar. The farm itself was said to be home to a thriving population of snakes, believed to uh, protect uh, their mistress. And, as you might expect, uh, Hannah was uh, said to be querulous and threatening in her encounters with neighbors. Soon, there were stories about curses laid on members of the community. A trespasser, whom Hannah angrily berated for fishing in a brook flowing through her property, was, after that, unable to hook a single fish. Uh, the wheels fell off a cart driven by some locals who mocked her. And then there were those pies that people in Monroe dream about. A woman known for her pies one day refused Hannah's demand that she make her a gift of a large pie, offering instead a smaller one. And after that, everything she baked came out badly. Then, one day, in January of 1860, old Boreas crowed his last, betokening, according to Hannah, her own imminent death. A heavy snowstorm followed and when locals went to check on Hannah, she was found near death, but still threatening her neighbors with a curse to fall upon them if they failed to bury her correctly. The burial must not happen until sundown, and there must be pallbearers enough to march her coffin from her house to the cemetery. But the heavy snow and ice weren't really friendly to these plans. When Hannah died, her coffin was not carried as requested, but was loaded onto a sled. Not far from the house, however, the witch made her displeasure known, shaking violently within her coffin and, according to some accounts, bursting the straps holding it to the sled and throwing the attendants to the ground. In falling, the coffin slid all the way back to her front door so they could just start over. Realizing the Hannah would be as stubborn in death as in life, they hoisted the coffin, this time to their shoulders, and made their journey as requested on foot. Though they had set out on their uh, cemetery outing during the daylight, the disruption had delayed them enough so that the burial was not completed until sundown, as the witch had commanded. Returning from the cemetery, however they encountered another sign of the witch's wrath. Hannah's home was engulfed in flame. Though completely consumed, the flames did not destroy the subterranean root cellar, which was believed to still be haunted by her spirit and the source of strange moans and cries heard in the region. Now, whether it's coincidence or somehow uh, retained as a motif over the centuries of storytelling, there are some surprising parallels in Hannah's story to one told in uh, 1125 by the English chronicler William of Malmesbury. It's uh, in his uh, Chronicle of the Kings of England as a sort of digression and under the title...
1: On a certain... Wicked woman.
0: The uh, Witch of Berkeley, as she's known, is described as a woman...
1: Devoted to gluttony and wantonness, and even in her old age, putting no limit to her crimes and witchcraft.
0: Like uh, Hannah Crana and her rooster, this woman has her own bird familiar, a jackdaw sort of crow, who one day during dinner is heard to begin chattering. The witch grows pale and drops her knife, interpreting the jackdaw's message.
1: This day I shall meet with a great disaster, for my plow has today come to its last furrow.
0: And suddenly a messenger arrives in her hall, fearfully announcing the news that the witch's son and his family have been killed. Stricken with grief, the witch grows ill and takes to her bed... Sending urgently for her children as she realizes this uh, malady is...
1: Creeping down to her vitals.
0: Fearing the devil will come for her after a life spent in wickedness, she, like Hannah Crenna, has very particular instructions to be carried out after her death.
1: When I am dead, sew me up in the hide of a stag and then place me in a stone sarcophagus and fasten the lid upon it with iron and lead and then bind the stone round with three most powerful chains of iron.
0: As her children have followed a more righteous course in life, one being a nun and the other a monk, she relies on them, uh, to also...
1: Employ fifty clerical singers of psalms to chant, and as many priests to celebrate masses for three days. And if I lie in this way unmoved for three days, on the fourth day, bury me in the ground.
0: Upon her death, these instructions are carried out, And, though demons assail the monastery where her body lays, they cannot, at least for two nights, break the bolt, securing the doors. But, on the third night...
1: There was, about Cockcrow, a noise as of enemies marching up, and the whole monastery seemed to be moved from its foundations... Then one of the demons, who was more formidable in countenance than the rest, and more conspicuous for his stature, shook down the doors of the church with a violent assault and dashed them to pieces.
0: The creature easily snaps the chains on her sarcophagus.
1: He also pitched aside the lid, and in the sight of them all dragged the woman out of the church, where before the doors was seen a horse neighing proudly, with iron hoofs and nails projecting from him on all sides, and the wretched woman was thrown upon him, and so disappeared from the eyes of the bystanders. But her horrible cries imploring help were heard for nearly four miles.
0: On Halloween in North Staffordshire, England, there's a superstition that you can raise a ghost by skipping around a particular grave and chanting.
1: Molly Lee, Molly Lee, chase me round the apple tree.
0: The grave in the town of Burslem, of course, uh, belongs to Molly Lee or Margaret Lee, as it says on her tombstone. Uh, folklorists assume the uh, apple tree may have once grown by her house and the uh, custom has been transferred over to uh, Molly's uh, more permanent residence, where she's uh, been waiting, in fact, uh, every Halloween since 1746. Even as an infant, legend says, Molly was a bit different. Only hours after her birth, she was said to have fed on hard crusts of bread with uh, what must have been some pretty impressive teeth. She refused her mother's milk preferring instead to uh, suckle on the cows of the remote farm where she grew up. And she suffered from some sort of uh, facial deformity. It's not clear what, but we know that it distorted one of her eyes. As she grew older, she assisted her parents by selling milk produced on the farm. But her interactions with those in her village were predictably uh, negative, and she remained solitary throughout her life like uh, Hannah Crana and perhaps the Witch of Berkeley. However, she did have an avian companion, a blackbird that sat on her shoulder when she made her round selling milk or otherwise perched on a uh, hawthorn bush that stood forever unblooming by her remote cottage home. Often accused of watering down the milk sold, she returned the uh, hostility of her customers in kind and was eventually blamed for causing any misfortune or ailments suffered by the locals through witchcraft. Whether due to her cantankerous relationship with the community or for some darker reasons, Molly refused to attend church. And this did not go unnoticed by the local pastor, Reverend Thomas Spencer, who believed that Molly bore him a special grudge and that she was sending her blackbird to spy on him. One day, according to the legend, the bird landed on the sign of the village pub, and at that instant, every beer in the establishment went sour. The Reverend Spencer, who was at the time enjoying a drink, was particularly affected and was said to have been ill for quite some time. Despite these stories and the hostilities, uh, Molly eventually went peacefully to her death in April 1746, and it's only then that things uh, really escalated. The Blackbird, which outlived her, became a public nuisance and would single out particular individuals for attacks. And that was hardly at all, according to the uh, 1883 book Shropshire Folklore by uh, Georgina Frederica Jackson the witch was
1: supposed to be seen after her death going about the streets with her milk pail on her head and at other times she would get in the cottages and sit knitting in the corner she came both day and night and annoyed the people so much that they got the neighboring clergy to meet together in Burslem Church to lay her
0: lay her that is to put the ghost to rest as I explained in our uh, purgatory episode an exhumation rite was suggested, and at some point before visiting the cemetery, Reverend Spencer himself was said to have entered Molly's cottage and encountered her in spirit form with the uh, blackbird, as in life, perched on her shoulder. Upon arriving at the cemetery, Spencer, along with five uh, parsons from nearby towns, uh, was said to have uh, disinterred the body and brought it into the church. And, according to our uh, volume of uh, Shropshire folklore...
1: Prayed and prayed that her spirit might have rest. And at last they saw her hovering in the air, up in the roof of the church. And they went on praying, and they saw the form of her come face downwards gradually, drawing down towards them.
0: The spirit was then urged into a uh, witch-proof stone coffin, provided as a turrent, and uh, reburied. Uh, Other details have been added to other tellings of the story. Quite a number say that Molly's blackbird, uh, captured by Spencer during his visit to the cottage, was enclosed in her coffin when she was reburied. Uh, others assert that 3 of the clergy members died as a result of this uh, rite performed over the coffin i even find one account suggesting that a stake was driven into the corpse to pin the witch in the grave however most all accounts agree that it was during this reinterment that the grave was reoriented north to south rather than in the traditional christian east west orientation The actual grave is indeed curiously oriented like this, and for all we know, the whole disinterment story was created to explain this oddity. Certainly, as with any historical witch story, there is a loose relationship with facts here. Um, Particularly sad in this case is the evidence presented by Molly's last will and testament, which hardly sounds like a document left by a wicked witch, as it provides generously, not only for her surviving mother, but stipulated that money from the sale of her land should go towards supplying the poor of the town with loaves of bread. Nonetheless, a good story, however bad the ramifications, lives on, and in 2013 a horror film referencing the story was released, presumably taking a cue from Molly's Blackbird. It's called Molly Crows. What you call...
1: A flock of crows. I'm now what are I supposed to do? I think you better
0: leave I must perform an exorcism. Uh, t- Molly Lee's story also lived on in a rather celebratory way, thanks to a colorful character the BBC once dubbed Britain's most famous witch. This would be the author, astrologer, psychic, and of course witch, uh, Sybil Leek, who appeared on the scene in the 1960s during a wave of pop cultural interest in the uh, supernatural. That In order to really do justice to a remarkable woman, I'm going to introduce her briefly, And with loving care, and yet she is one of the strangest persons I have ever met in my life. Her name is Dame Sybil Leek. She was all over newspapers and TV screens at the time, no doubt in part because of uh, the strangeness mentioned uh, by the uh, psychic Kruskin. um, She was quite a large woman, uh, and dressed in flamboyant flowing gowns, often paired with a cape, and just as often appearing uh, with her own version of Molly Lee's blackbird companion a jackdaw she had named Mr. Hotfoot. The bird was even the subject of a sort of children's book leak published in 1965, The Jackdaw and the Witch. Sipple would uh, also occasionally trot out a pet boa constrictor named uh, Sashima, but it was a less frequent accessory. Leake was born in the vicinity of Stoke-on-Trent, as was Molly Lee, and claimed to be related to uh, her uh, 18th century counterpart, which would explain the uh, jackdaw, I suppose. Whether she was a genuine descendant of Molly Lee, I'll leave to you. But uh, claims of hereditary witchcraft are particularly common, with witches eager to bolster their reputation. Uh, she also claimed to have received instruction in her youth from Aleister Crowley, which is not confirmed in any of his... Uh, biographical material, uh, and Leek's initiation to the craft, she said, occurred in southern France while she was a teen touring the continent with her piano teacher, whom she married at the age of 16. And this last bit, the marriage and the tour, is something that uh, corroborating records do confirm. When her uh, family moved south to the town of Burley, on the edge of the New Forest. Leek opened three antique shops in the area where she first began openly declaring her devotion to the craft. Her location by the New Forest made slightly more plausible her claim that she had also had experience with the famous, yet difficult to authenticate, Coven of the New Forest, uh, from which Gerald Gardner, the founder of Wicca, is supposed to have obtained his initiation. Gardner had been uh, the primary spokesman for this initial 1950s and 60s revival of interest in witchcraft, and when he died in 1964, he left a void, one which Leek was well positioned to fill. Her public profile was kickstarted in 1964 with an appearance as the mystery guest on the game show To Tell the Truth. What is your name, please? My name is Sybil Leek. My name is Sybil Leek. Realizing the media potential the U.S. offered, Leek moved here, and after a brief stint in New York, ended up in Los Angeles, eventually relocating to Florida at the suggestion of a psychic with whom she worked. Still, she may have been most strongly associated with the town of Burley, and the New Forest, which, uh, thanks to her presence there, uh, is still something of a mecca for witchcraft tourism. And you can see there the site of her original antique shop, now renamed uh, Coven of Witches. One of these ladies is a wen. Our final story for tonight, a, a slightly longer one, is Really, quite an oddity. It's the story of a self confessed Scottish witch, Major Thomas Weir. It takes place in 17th century Edinburgh, where Weir, after a time in the military, was appointed to the position of uh, commander of the town guard, uh, hence the major title. Uh, he was in every way an unlikely candidate for witchcraft. He was not only a member of an old and respected family, but a man of extreme religious zeal, or perhaps better, religiosity. Um, He belonged to a particularly uh, fervid uh, Presbyterian sect centered around Edinburgh's West Bow Street. Pious pilgrims came from far and wide to visit his looming turreted home at the head of Bow Street uh, to see him pray, this man who was nicknamed the Bowhead Saint, According to the 1825 volume, Traditions of Edinburgh by Robert Chambers, he...
1: "...made those who heard him pray admire his flood in prayer, his ready extemporary expression, his heavenly gesture, so that he was thought more angel than man, and was termed by some of the Holy Sisters, Angelical Thomas."
0: A second permanent resident moved into his home on West Bow after uh, Thomas's wife died. It was his spinster sister, Jean, widely known for some reason by the nickname Grizzle. She was uh, also a fixture in these religious gatherings up until Weir retired and fell sick. And it was at this point, at the age of 71... That uh, realizing he hadn't long to live, Weir decided to get right with God and make a confession. But not the sort of boring confession the, consisting of a handful of uh, petty, venial sins, what you'd expect from a godly pillar of the community. No, Weir's life, according to this outpouring, was uh, quite a bit, uh, shall we say, uh, more complex than any would have believed. In fact, the Lord Provost who heard it did not believe it and elected to take no action, despite laws against the uh, multitudinous acts of vice, witchcraft, and sexual abominations uh, we had confessed to. Eventually, however, when the Major refused to recant and when his sister Jean began chiming in about her own role in these nefarious deeds, the provost was forced to detain the pair for formal questioning. And so, the actual charges from the court record are...
1: One, that when Jean Weir, his sister, was only of ten years of age or thereabout, he did entice and endeavor to lie with her and defile her, and thereafter in the years 1620, 1621, 1622... 1623 and 1624.
0: While you may have already decided that Weir's confession was strictly the product of his religious mania and overheated impulse towards uh, self recrimination, um, that doesn't seem to be entirely true. There were actual witnesses that grudgingly came forward in support of these charges. Uh, Margaret Weir, sister of both Thomas and Jean, For instance, testified that she had caught the incestuous pair in the act sometime during her 27th year. And uh, so, back to these other charges.
1: Two, that he did lie with Margaret Borden, daughter of his deceased wife, and when she became a child, did marry her to an Englishman.
0: More details are provided in this charge, including that uh, one of his regular partners was his house servant.
1: 3. He is indicted of frequent and habitual adulteries, both during the marriage and when he was a single person.
0: Witnesses came forward for that one, too. The act had been reported at the time, but thanks to Weir's reputation, the innocent witness was not believed and flogged for what was considered slander.
1: 4. Having defiled himself with this filthy crimes of adultery, fornication, and incest, he proceeded farther to the height of brutish abomination in committing bestiality with a mare in the year 1650 and 1651 at new mills in the West Country, he having ridden there upon that mare and did lie with cows and other
0: beasts. A, hey, uh final rather elaborately worded charge boils down to the fact that he was so dreadfully self-righteous throughout his criminal career that he had blackened the reputation of his genuinely pious associates you may have noticed that any charges of sorcery are absent here though this all took place during the height of the witch trials it's uh, possible Weir did not confess to this, but his uh, sister most certainly did, implicating him in witchcraft too, uh, claiming that some of their incestuous acts occurred during orgiastic witches' revels. Jean Weir insisted that her mother had been a witch, and that witchcraft aided her in her spinning of thread, and that the distaff of her spinning will was often found full after leaving it empty and that she had been visited by the Queen of Fairies who had brought her, according to uh, Elizabeth Linton's account in her 1861 book, Witch Stories. A piece
1: of a tree or the root of some herb and she told her that so long as she kept the same she should do well and should attain all that she might desire.
0: Jean also related how a... ...fiery coach... ...had come to transport the two of them to a nearby town... ...and that during the journey... ...a strange traveling companion... ...had given Thomas...
1: ...supernatural intelligence...
0: ...of uh, the outcome of a particular battle... ...the Scottish troops were engaged in at the time... ...and Jean uh, further produced... Uh, ...what she regarded as evidence of her witchy heritage... ...displaying a... Uh, ...horseshoe-shaped mark on her forehead supposedly identical to the one born by her witch mother, Uh, one that seems to have uh, only been visible when she wrinkled her forehead, as far as I can tell. The source of her brother's supernatural abilities, she said, resided within a curious walking stick well known from Weir's strolls through town. It was said to be carved of thornwood and topped by grinning satyrs. According to Robert Chambers' 1869 book, Traditions of Edinburgh, its magical character featured prominently in the legends of Thomas Weir.
1: Crones will still seriously tell how it could run a message to a shop for any article which its proprietor wanted, how it could answer the door when anyone called upon its master and that it used to be often seen running before him in the capacity of a link boy as he walked down the lawn market.
0: The uh, walking stick here seems to have emitted fire as a link boy is someone carrying a torch to uh, light the way of a pedestrian in the days before gaslight. Those interrogating the uh, brother and sister remain skeptical, uh, particularly of Jean's lurid assertions. But a visit to the uh, pair's home to search for evidence seem to suggest something supernatural. Uh, According to the uh, 1848 volume, Memorials of Edinburgh in the Olden Time by Sir Daniel Wilson...
1: A few dollars were found, wrapped up in some rags, and on the latter being thrown into the fire, they danced in circles about the flames in an unwonted manner, while another bundle, found with some hard thing in it, which they threw into the fire likewise, circled and sparked like gunpowder, and passing from the tunnel of the chimney, it gave a crack like a little cannon to the amazement of all that were present.
0: After making his initial confession, Thomas Weir refused further comment and became resigned to his fate. Finally convinced of his story, his associates encouraged him to ask forgiveness of God, but Weir had lost all hope for redemption, declaring,
1: I find nothing within me but blackness and darkness, brimstone and burning to the bottom of hell.
0: The inevitable execution occurs on April 11th, 1670, before throngs of spectators. Even in the moments before he was to be uh, strangled and then burned, Weir stubbornly refused to ask for forgiveness, saying,
1: Let me alone! I will not! I have lived as a beast, and I must die as a beast!
0: Some accounts assert that the strangling of Weir was performed poorly, that is, slowly, Uh, Whether this was due to the incompetence of the execution or in order to prolong the misery of the condemned is not known. But his uh, sister's execution on charges of sorcery was even more hideous. As she ascended the scaffold, her old religious mania asserted itself. She screamed at the crowd that doom awaited them too if they did not repent, and then, in a fit of penitential hysteria, threw off her clothing, crying that she wished to die
1: naked and ashamed.
0: In an effort to end this grotesque display by the old woman, the executioner tackled her and received from Jean a sharp blow across his face. When the uh, notorious walking stick was uh, consigned to the uh, same fire burning the bodies, it's said to have behaved curiously. Robert Chambers, in his Traditions of Edinburgh, quotes a witness uh, to the execution, who wrote,
1: Whatever incantation was in it, it gave rare turnings, and was long a-burning, as also was Weir.
0: And that's not the end of the story. Weir's house, which stood vacant for over a century, was regarded as cursed. Cursed and all manner of strange happenings were associated with it. Chambers uh, writes that it was...
1: Sometimes observed at midnight to be full of lights, and heard to emit strange sounds, as of dancing and howling, and what is the strangest of all, spinning. Some people occasionally saw the major issue from the place at midnight, mounted on a black horse without a head, and gallop off in a whirlwind of flame... Sometimes the whole of the inhabitants of the bow would be roused from their sleep at an early hour in the morning by the sound as of a coach first rattling up the lawn market and then thundering down the bow, stopping at the house for a few minutes and then rattling and thundering back again, being neither more nor less than Satan come in one of his best carriages to take home the major and his sister after they had spent a night's leave of absence in their terrestrial dwelling."
0: Eventually, in 1780, the house was purchased for an exceedingly small sum by a former soldier, William uh, Petullo, and uh, Chambers uh, writes about him.
1: Even before entering upon his hazardous undertaking, William Petullo was looked upon with a flattering sort of interest, similar to that which we feel respecting a regiment on the march to active conflict on the very first night after Petulo and his spouse had taken up their abode in the house as the worthy couple were lying awake in their bed not unconscious of a certain degree of fear a dim uncertain light proceeding from the gathered embers of their fire and all being silent around them they suddenly saw a form like that of a calf which came forward to their bed and setting its forefeet upon the stock looked steadfastly at the unfortunate pair. When it had contemplated them thus for a few minutes to their great relief at length took itself away and slowly retiring gradually vanished from their sight.
0: Long regarded as the uh, most haunted house in Edinburgh, the building was thought to have been torn down in 1878, though a uh, 2014 article in Fortean Times has suggested that part of the structure may have survived and is now incorporated into a Quaker meeting house, of all things. One final thought on uh, Weir's case and... uh, Final thought to close out our show. It's been suggested that uh, this Edinburgh legend, one of a man uh, fractured into uh, personalities, good and wicked, uh, provided inspiration to one of the city's uh, most famous writers, Robert Louis Stevenson, when he uh, composed his 1886 novel, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And so Edward Hyde. For the first well, time. everyone needs inspiration, no matter how dreadful the source. Of, and I do hope our show tonight has provided some sort of inspiration for uh, you in your <laughs> celebration of uh, Halloween and whatever guise you happen you know to assume. That the evil
1: in me growled to be free.
0: That would hide. I do now?
1: I only had to drink the potion to shake
0: off the body. Then things went wrong. I do hope everyone's been enjoying our show and that uh, you all uh, will have a happy Halloween. Perhaps you've uh, even enjoyed the show with a friend or have recommended the show to a friend as suitable Halloween listening. And we do appreciate you spreading the word like that. Um, We particularly appreciate anyone who leaves us a review as these are the best way to uh, raise the show's profile on uh, Apple Podcasts and other outlets. Um, If you've left a review, by all means, let me know and we'll give you a little shout out. Somebody left a review on Swedish Apple Tunes a month or so ago, and I didn't know about that. So please let me know. Our website, boneandsickle.com, provides links to our Facebook group, Twitter and Instagram, along with show notes with plenty of images and video links to uh, film trailers, uh, clips and music used in the program. Music and sound otherwise are all original for the show. You can also find our donor link on the site. Uh, Patreon members have a choice of rewards, including exclusive access to uh, extra elements that go into the making of the podcast, uh, digital downloads of rare books used in the preparation of the show, the show soundscapes you hear in the background, my Krampus book, and a special handcrafted mystery kit mailed to our top level donors. Donation levels begin at $1 a month, and your support via Patreon is the sole support that pays for the more than 100 hours of work that goes into each episode. A special thanks to our new Patreon donors, Michael Kaufman, Alice Tonley, and uh, Jerry Turner. The show is uh, written and produced by me, Al Ridenauer. Mrs. Carswell is played by Sarah Chavez whose uh, projects and uh, writing related to death and culture you can track at sarah-chavez.com. Thanks so much for listening.